Heavenly Father, we just pause to give you thanks. Lord, I thank you for this class, and I ask that you would be with uh, Dave today. And Lord, I ask that you would be with all the mothers as well, and um, for sure we wouldn't be here without them. Lord, we ask your blessing on each and every one. And Lord, we thank you for this day, and we give it to you, and uh, ask that you would teach us something today. Yeah, so I, I knew I was going to be really busy today, so I wanted to call my mom ahead of time and, and wish her happy Mother's Day. So I called her last night, and I got flustered because I ended up getting an answering machine that didn't work right, and it was beeping in my ear incessantly. And So I tried her cell number, and still didn't get through, and thought, well, I'll leave a message on the cell phone. So I'm leaving a message, and I wish her a happy birthday. <laughs> and then I'm saying, Mother's Day, yeah, Mother's yeah. Day. <laughs>
make disciples of all nations. And I, I uh, tacked on to that, that, oh yeah, that's uh, uh, as you are going, um, would be another translation, a more literal translation. And then I said that was uh, an active uh, present participle. And I was wrong in my Greek. <coughs> and I got busted on my Greek. Um, so it isn't actually uh, an active uh, present participle. It is a passive aorist participle. So I, of course, when I got corrected, I wanted to understand my grammar better and it, why it's translated as an imperative. Because an imperative is a command. right? This is a command. Go. Right? And so I'm sitting there digging into it, and, and it actually literally would be translated um, as you go or while you are going, or it could even be translated having gone. In other words, there's a presumption that you're out in the world, right? So uh, we often translate that, um, or, or we would translate that in other contexts as, as you're going, do this. But this is a particular type of construct that Matthew uses a lot. Um, and it's what they call uh, an attendant circumstance participle. I know that you don't care about that. But, um, what that means is that it's really tied to the main verb of, of the sentence. And the main verb is to teach or make disciples. Right. So the reason that this has imperative force is because the main verb is an imperative, make disciples. And so what they do is what attendant circumstance means is that it pulls the mood from that verb into the participle. And that's why it's translated as, an, as a command, go. But the real emphasis is not supposed to be on going. It's supposed to be on making disciples. Right? So I thought I'd make that clarification, but I'd also uh, thought that that's a, a perfect lead-in to what we're going to look at this morning. Is that... Um, our goal or participation with, uh, with the Lord should be to make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that uh, he has commanded us and comforting them that he is with us even to the end of the age. So this morning um, we are in John and we've been uh, reading through John in the Upper Room Discourse. And so if you follow the Upper Room Discourse of John, uh, the reason it's called the Upper Room Discourse is because discourse is a conversation, right? Uh, upper Room, it starts in, after Jesus has concluded his public ministry, where he's about showing the world, revealing um, himself and the Father to the world, right? And I say himself and the Father because... If you've seen Jesus and understood him, you've seen the Father and understood him. Where in John are you? Uh, we're we're going to pick up today in John chapter 20. Okay. But last week we were in John chapter 17. And you say, what happened to <laughs> and, and And the reason we're going to jump from this upper room discourse, which actually starts in chapter 13, and it runs through chapter 17, is... Uh, and jump to chapter 20 is because I want to give a particular focus on that passage we were just looking at in Matthew about making disciples and that what we're called to do. And that you actually see that right before the theme of John. So we've been studying through John, and John wants us to, to know or to get three things out of his writings. Anybody remember what those three things are? No, believe, remain. That's right. Good job. To know, believe, and remain. So we want, he, he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing in him will have eternal life. And that eternal life is uh, in him. So it means that we need to abide in him. And so we, we saw as part of the Upper Room Discourse uh, a whole section on abiding, right? Chapter 15. We saw in Upper Room Discourse a whole... Um, revelation as to what it means, um, how God is serving us, all the way to the uh, point of actually dying in our place, which is, is not something that um, should be overlooked or trivialized in any way. You know, we were yesterday we had a, a shepherd's meeting, and uh, the, the piece out of the shepherd's meeting, uh, we were reading through uh, Ephesians, 
um, very quickly. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, um, there's this statement. See if I can find it real quick.
where the spirit actually um, communes with our spirit. And that communion is such that we actually join with him in the sense that a bride and a groom are joined together. The two become one. And that that union, um, from that comes our very life. The life that we have. And that is eternal life. Right? So it's mystical. It's not magic. But it is mystical. There is a mystery and Paul uses that word when he's talking about the, the church and the relationship of the church to, to Christ. He says, this is a mystery. But that doesn't make it any less real. So I, I hope that kind of answers your question. Because there will be uh, a presence of Christ when he comes back that no one will be able to deny. They won't have to point to their chest and say, you know, um, the Spirit of God is in me. They'll be able to actually say, there's the Spirit of God right there in the flesh, you know. <coughs> and that's our, our, uh, our hope, because we understand that when we pass from this world and our corrupted flesh is put into the ground, it turns to dirt, right? It says, from dirt we were taken, to dirt we will return, um, and I, you know, that's very real to me because yesterday I was trying to burn leaves and leaves don't burn very well, but they turn to dirt really good. And that's the same thing about human bodies. They turn to dirt really good. So um, that, that is very discouraging if your hope is in anything that has to do with the flesh. But if your hope is that the very Christ um, who was crucified on the cross and verified dead by Roman guards and put in a tomb to decay and turn to dirt, actually rose from the dead, never to die again. In other words, he has a glorified body. Then that is a very real hope. That's why when Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life, he's talking about two things. We will actually have a resurrected body that is as his is. We will have a glorified body. And we will have eternal life that is as his is. Because we are actually in communion with him. He is our life. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. And so that's, that's what, you know, this, the mystery of the prepositions. We are in Christ. That's what that means. And that's really important. So what happened is that Jesus gave this incredible uh, discourse, this conversation with his closest uh, friends and disciples in this world. And he called them friends. Um, and he ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we read last week was the prayer that he had for his people left in the world. That they're not of the world, but they're in the world. And he asked that the joy that he had with the Father would be their joy. And that, you know, we went through that last week. And I won't go through chapter 17 again. Immediately after that, we know from both the accounts in John and the accounts in the other Gospels that Jesus was arrested. That he was betrayed um, by uh, Judas Iscariot and that uh, Judas went with the, um, the Roman guards that were given um, to the high priest in order to arrest this man. And they went to the Garden of Gethsemane because Judas knew he was going to be there. Jesus, he was with Jesus in that upper room. And that they went and they arrested Jesus. We know that from the other Gospels that the, the others that were there with him were dispersed. They ran away. In fact, Mark, John Mark, um, would have been a young boy at this time, or a young man. And in the course of running away, his, his garment got caught on something, and he ended up running away naked, right? We read that in the other Gospels. He was that one that, the first, the first streaker, right? <laughs> so, you know that they were like, this was a big deal. That even though they didn't understand, they didn't want to believe the truth that Jesus had told them, it was all of a sudden happening. It was upon them. And Jesus was taken before the high priest, and uh, the, San, the, the uh, small council of the Sanhedrin, he was uh, tried, at which point he declared the truth that he had already declared. So at first he was silent, 
And then when he was asked, he said, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? It can't get any more straightforward question than that, right? He said, it is as you say. And after this, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. So what he was doing is he was foretelling um, his actual return. As the Son of Man, which was a prophecy in Daniel. And he used the very language, and when the high priest heard this, and, un and he understood what Jesus was saying, that he was, in fact, claiming to be the Christ, the Son of God. He ripped his robe and he said, we don't need any more testimony. This man is a blasphemer. We're going to put him to death. But they didn't have the right to put him to death. Right? So they um, took him before Pontius Pilate, who was the, the governor, the procurate at that point in time. And he went before Pilate and Pilate queried him. And Pilate didn't see any danger in this man. He wasn't doing anything that warranted him being a criminal of the state or a criminal against the nation of Rome. So Pilate wanted to release him. And the people were so adamant. They said, no, this man has, has broken the great law. He has made himself God. Right? That was the claim against Jesus, that he had made himself God. And they were so insistent that Pilate gave in. He said, you know, to keep the peace, I wash my hands with this man. Do with him what you want. I'll give it my blessing. And so they took him out and beat him, as was the custom, within, you know, a, a hair breadth of his life. Then made him carry uh, the crossbeam of his cross through the city from the place where he was tried to outside the city gate. And there he was crucified. And being crucified meant that you were an enemy of the state. And um, they were very serious about killing people with state executions. They wanted the whole world to know this person is an enemy and this is what happens to our enemies. I hope you never end up there. Right? And so they put Jesus on the cross and he was on the cross for a little over six hours. In that period of time, um, he suffered horrifically, but he, in his suffering, he still reached out to bring life. He brought life to those that were suffering with him on the cross. Right? There was a, a man that justly deserved the fate that, that he was experiencing, and Jesus offered him life. There was um, people in the crowd that justly deserved their fate. We justly deserve our death. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Right? So Jesus, up to his final breath, when he said, it is finished, was all about us. That's what he was there for. And that they wanted to make sure that he was really dead, so they poked him in the side with the spear. And they saw the result of crucifixion flowing out, blood and water mixed, because that's a physiological uh, process that occurs when a person goes through this type of death. So they knew he was really dead. Their lives depended on it. They would not have taken him down from the cross. It didn't matter what those Jews said if he wasn't really dead. So they took him down from the cross, and uh, there were people that were supportive of Jesus, even though they wouldn't come right out uh, and confront the authorities. And one of them, uh, a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus' body and quickly made preparation and put him in his own tomb, tomb that was carved out for his family. And so Jesus was uh, buried in this tomb. So we read about that, uh, I'll, I'll back up, we're in John chapter 20, but I'm going to back up uh, two verses to verse 41. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, so what happened is, is that 
Christ was laid in the tomb on uh, Friday before sunset because the Sabbath would have started at sunset Friday evening. And he was in that tomb uh, all of Friday night, all of Saturday, and all of Sunday morning. Um, And so the first day of the week would have been Sunday. And what we're going to hear about is what occurs on that third day. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the faith cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And will stop there for a moment. <clears throat> what the scene was, they came up, Mary saw the, the stone rolled back, and she surmised that the tomb had been entered, because you don't roll back the stone unless you're going in there. So she didn't actually go in, but she um, knew that something had happened. So she went and, and told John and Peter... And now John and Peter were hanging out. You've got to remember, they were there. They witnessed the trial before the high priest. Peter was in the courtyard in the high priest's house, as was John. And that's where the Peter denied Christ three times. Right? So Peter and John are together. We understand that when Jesus looked at Peter after that third denial in the cock crow, that Peter was a broken man. Because he realized that everything that Jesus had said had come to pass, including his own betrayal, his own denial of Jesus as the Christ. Yes. Well, I mean, we know Peter was, was there, but how do you know that John was there? I mean, I know he was there at the crucifixion. Right. That's different. I mean, was he there in the courtyard? Yeah, so John was the one that because actually had access. So, so as you piece it together from the all four Gospels, you find out that John was the one that actually had the privileged access. How John got that privileged access, we don't know. But he gives a first-hand account of what occurred. Um, so either it's a stylistic thing that he uh, um, chose to write it in the first person for emphasis, or he was actually a, an eyewitness. Um, and, and I would take the, the position that he was an eyewitness, especially because when you piece it together from other accounts in the gospel, you see, he was the guy that actually had the, the access, and he invited Peter along. He said, Peter, come with me, let's follow the Lord. And they actually followed, at a distance, Jesus being taken in before the, the high priest. And that courtyard, um, you can go there today. They built a church on it, they built a church on everything. Um, and you can see kind of where they would have come into that courtyard, and that Jesus would have been in a different part of the, of the house, um, they actually have uh, cells underneath where they would lock up prisoners and things like that. And so they were there in that courtyard together. So when Peter was broken, John was with them. And I imagine John was very sensitive to what Peter was feeling and experiencing. Because John didn't jump up and try and defend Peter or defend Jesus either. He didn't pull out his sword and cut off the high priest's ear, high priest's servant's ear, right? That's what Peter did. Right, So, uh, John and Peter were part of that uh, close-knit group. There was John, James, and Peter were the three that went to the Mount of Transfiguration. So, John and Peter were really tight. Their two families were tight. They were tight. And um, so, they had come... So, Mary Magdalene knew where they were hanging out. And she went to them and said, because they're the guys, if anybody, that's going to do something about Jesus' body being stolen. 
And so that she finds them and says, they've taken the body of, of our Lord. You know, we don't know where, but they've taken it. So they take off to run and see what's going on. And when they get there, they find the grave clothes um, lying there, but different than normal. Not only the grave clothes lying there, but the, the piece that they would have wrapped around his head, like this, to basically hold the jaw shut so that your mouth isn't hanging open, that piece was rolled up and set off to the side. So this was not something that happened because uh, somebody came in and quickly took the body and left. In other words, they were trying to do something um, untoward or something illegal or something you know, really, you know, forbidden by the Jews to touch a dead body. So um, they recognized, oh, this doesn't look normal, but it's not like somebody broke into the place. And that's why John gives this detail. And we read on, it says, So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. The question is, what did he believe? For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stood she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laid. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, and my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. <clears throat> so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So the whole, the whole of this is captured right there. Why did John want us to, to know this? It's because he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him will have life in his name, and that will tell others. Right? Jesus is sending them. He says, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut. And stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. <coughs> then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet have believed. Therefore, Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The, the points that I wanted to highlight as we move through here, one, Jesus really did raise from the dead. And that it wasn't like when Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
Jesus rose from the dead, <clears throat> there was something different, but the same. So we understand that Jesus was the perfect man. Right? We saw that on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus went up, he actually was revealed in his glorified state. That was what the original intent for man had been. I say I'm making some stretch here. I go back all the way to Genesis. When man was created, he was created in the image of God. He was created for communion with God. And he was created with a responsibility to God for care of God's creation. Not that man was higher than the angels. He was actually created lower than the angels in the sense that there was a different kind of relationship. But nonetheless, man was created um, to be in communion with God, to be without sin. And when Jesus had lived out his life to the point where the final decision had to be made as to whether he would be obedient to the Father and go to the cross, he was actually revealed in his full glory. He was revealed in it was so powerful that the accounts of those that were there, and Peter was there, was that um, his clothing became so white, it was whiter than the whitest white. You know, Think of how white you can get things. If you took something and dipped it in bleach and then rinsed it out, you know, a white t-shirt, dipped it in bleach, it's, it actually takes on kind of a bluish... Um, white to it. It's so bright that it almost appears, it appears in a higher spectrum of light. And yet, this white was whiter than that. And it came from the inside out. So, it isn't something that was in the clothing. It wasn't because he was wearing special sparkly white clothing. It was because <laughs> Jesus was perfect. And in that perfection, it was brilliant that they couldn't actually stand in his presence. And Jesus was standing there talking about his exodus, his departure, his taking the people out of a place of bondage into the promised land. So he was talking about his exodus, his departure, with Moses and Elijah. And that's when Peter woke up from his sleep, and he saw this happening, and he said, wow, I don't want this to ever end. Let's build tents for these guys so they stay here with us right now and this will be the way it is forever. Jesus, that's who Jesus was. He was revealed fully in his glory. And yet because he was fully obedient to the Father, he knew that he had to go down the mountain all the way to the cross. And that's the account that you read in all of the Gospels. That Jesus set his face to be obedient even death on the cross. And he gave his life for his people. Right? That he died doing what we could not do. And in this, he also invites us to participate. He wants us to be witnesses, just as John and Peter were witnesses. He asks us to be witnesses. So, so Jesus uh, said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So just as Jesus appeared in his perfection, and in that perfection had to make a decision as to whether he was going to truly be obedient and do that which was his Father had asked him to do, even though it meant his death, that's what he's asking us to do. He's asking us, he says, As the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. Now, you're not commanded here, but you're requested. That's what God is asking. He's, he's asking us to go, to tell others. And we understand that telling others can take a couple of different forms, right? It can take a form of, um, like Mary Magdalene, or the women that were involved in the ministry of Jesus. How did they help bring that message to others? They were in a position where they could not go out. They had no authority in their name alone. Right? They could only go in the authority of, of whoever was sending them. And 
what they did is they provided for the success of that mission. So they said, I'm all in. In fact, I'm going to give you my full wealth behind this. We see that from women. They've had no position in that culture. We also saw that from men that did have position in that culture. Guys like Joseph of Arimathea. Guys like Nicodemus. When um, later on we would find out that uh, after the day of Pentecost, when John and Peter would be brought before the Sanhedrin, just as Jesus was, and that they would have to stand trial because they're proclaiming Jesus to be the Christ. Right? They're saying this man is God. And it's not that he made himself God, he is God. And they said it and they wouldn't back down. And they were trying to figure out, well, what do we do with these guys? Do we kill them too? And Nicodemus um, was one of those that was there and championed for, for Jesus and, and actually intervened. And there were others that also, a guy by the name of Gamaliel spoke up. Right? So there were people that, even though they weren't going in that mission, they were the senders. They participated in sending in that way. And then there were those that actually went. Thomas um, said, I'm not going unless I know that this is really true. I'm not going to believe this. And so Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. But what was the purpose that he revealed himself to Thomas? Was it so Thomas would feel good? No. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's me. This whole chapter 20 is really the crux of the Christian faith. It is. The fact that he, that he died and rose again, and then he commissioned his disciples. Um, so, but I have a question on it. Yep. So, in... Uh, in verse 22, it says he breathed on them. Yeah. And they received the Holy Spirit. And said, received the Holy Spirit. So he's already said that this is a good thing that I go to the Father because yeah. we'll leave the Spirit. Um, but he actually breathed on them. I mean, can you expand on that a little bit? Or? Yeah, so, um, so what I, I think the question you have is is there something magical? Or mystical about Jesus breathing. Well, I don't know. I mean, they point that. I mean, this is this is mm-hmm. made made us. So, so but it's not Pentecost. Well, Pentecost it's not Pentecost yet, and we understand that um, the Spirit um, has a different manifestation on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit is not ever absent, in the sense that we read about the Spirit of God in the Old Testament as the third person in the Trinity it's less well understood because I think there's a progressive revelation as you move through scripture um, kind of a pulling back the pedals until you see more clearly which Jesus revealed the spirit perfectly and I think what uh, so what's, what's another word for spirit where does the word spirit come from do you know It comes from uh, the same word that's used to say wind or breath. So breathing on him would be almost so, the same. So Jesus, in communion with them, gave of his spirit to them. Right? That's what, that's, it's not the, okay, I'm going to blow on all you guys. <laughs> now you got the spirit, right? So it's not the action of breathing that's being discussed here. It's actually the, the transmission of spirit. And that he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, that you're still going to be connected to me. And that's kind of what Mitch was asking earlier, was um, is, is Jesus physically here with us now? And in the sense of his corporeal body, that resurrected, glorified body, no. But in the sense of his spirit, yes. And he never left them. He says, and that's what he says in Matthew, right? He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How can he be with us always if I don't see the shiny Jesus in the room with me? Yet he's very much present here. 
He's not absent in any way. Kind of like God in the tabernacle. Yes. And I think just the tabernacle. I think that every once in a while what happens is is the blinders get peeled back on our vision and we see with more spiritual eyes. We know that that happened, you know, for example, in the Old Testament where um, Elisha wanted to help his servant understand, hey, God's got this all under control. It may look like it's an insanely out-of-control situation, but look up. And they saw the angels, right? <clears throat> so I think every once in a while what happens is, is, is God peels back our, our spiritual blindness, and we actually see how he is present and active always, both through his spirit, <clears throat> through and all of the expression of God in the in the in the um, the Trinity are expressed perfectly in everything that we experience daily. We are just really caught up in the world so we don't see it very often. So a couple of follow ups. <laughs> These are maybe minor points, but so does this mean that uh, the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit before. That's one question. And then the second one is, what about Thomas? He wasn't there. So did he not have the Spirit until I mean. Yeah, so Thomas wasn't there, and I never read about Jesus breathing on him. Right? You weren't there, and I don't read about Jesus breathing on you. Yeah, but I'm blessed. <laughs> so it's like Thomas the Gap Man then? Is he the one guy in all of this that gets shortchanged and doesn't get the Spirit? Well. So if, if that transmission of the Spirit of God occurs through an actual uh, process, of blowing on you, then I would say Thomas got shortchanged. But the Holy Spirit appeared in but, the Testament. But it's not, it's, see, we want to capture these things and put them in a box. It's like, this is how you get saved. You do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you turn the crank, and this pops out, and then you take that, and you put it in this, and you turn the crank, and, right? We, that's what we want to do. We want to put it into a nice legal structure. And what God says is, you know, it's kind of like the wind blowing. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, yeah. but you see the effect of it. In other words, it's mysterious. There's mystery involved in how that communion or uh, communication of the Spirit actually occurs. But what we do know is that it does occur. And not only that, but at some point in our Christian walk, we uh, authenticate that by crying, Abba, Father. Right? In other words, the Spirit testifies to our spirit, and we affirm that. Um, but there's no way that, I, you know, I, I, uh, I only know you as well as you uh, reveal yourself to me, commune with me, and communicate with me. Right? And in this world, <clears throat> that's broken. But in what Jesus had done was he actually tore that which separated us from God. He tore the, the curtain from the top to the bottom that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. So you have to be in the holy place, number one, in order to be in that presence. But now there is nothing that separates you when you come to God. You can actually go directly to the mercy seat. That's what Jesus did. In other words, all of history was about that moment. When he died and conquered death, he removed that which separates us from God. So in that sense, when the, the Holy Spirit being able to commune with us in this way, where Jesus communicates his spirit to us, um, had not occurred before that. Even though the spirit could be with us, could not be in us in this sense, because the, the veil had not been torn. So I think something unique did happen in the sense of our relationship with God. Uh, does that mean that those that came before that point and, and died like Abraham, right? Righteous dude. He was a friend of God. He communed with God in the sense that we read about in chapter 15. Uh, but Abraham came before this moment in history. So what about Abraham? That would be a legitimate question. 
What about Moses? Be a legitimate question. So you go to the Hebrews, the, the letter written to the Hebrews, and you read the Hall of Faith, and it talks about all of those guys that came before. What was their hope? The same as our hope. What was their belief? The same as our belief. What is their salvation? The same as our salvation. So in that sense, God could accomplish once for all time the redemption of humanity. Does that make sense? That's mysterious. Jack? Uh, when uh, the disciples were with Jesus and he sent them out two by two and they were healing and doing miracles and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, how were they in power? Was the Spirit with them at that time? Or was what what was going on there? So how does how does power work? Only through the Spirit. <clears throat> power works because of authority. <clears throat> if you have a power with no authority, if, or it's a false authority, it may look like power, but it isn't real power. Real power has the authority to, to say, it is so. Right? So the authority was delegated, and that's what they did. They went out in the authority of Jesus. So and I think this is one of our areas of uh, struggle is that we want to like own it we want to own the spirit he's my spirit and that way I can go out and I can see it right? it's like no 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 we never actually own the spirit just like we don't own the wind but what we see is, is that when we're in accord when we're walking with God um, the Spirit will act, and He'll do miraculous things. Um, and He can do miraculous things even if we're not in accord. But when it occurs, and it occurs, happened by our hand, right? So some of us are going to be going into this window. Um, we're going to right here on the map. And uh, when we go there, um, I don't know what's going to occur. We're just going kind of in a fact-finding Thing. But there can be some works that occur, some teachings that occur. And I had to get my briefing because of my clearance. So I had to make sure that they had to tell me now, be really careful and be aware of these things. If you do any kind of proselytizing, you know, you can get arrested and beat up. And yeah. <clears throat> so, but, you know, that may actually occur. Maybe somebody will get saved. That's what we're going for ultimately, right? Since Scott, I'll give you I need to make the introduction I failed to make before. That is, my mother-in-law and father-in-law just entered the room. <laughs> and they were with the little church that helped the Rajas build the two churches that are actually done or almost done now. So um, there's a connect there. Cool. Yeah. We need to talk. I'll, I'll be going with, with Raymond um, here in a couple months. And that's actually why I put this picture up there. It's because I really think that John chapter 20 is about missions. We understand that the overarching uh, work of John is about revelation, who Jesus is, the man. Is he fully man, fully God? That's a legitimate question, and I think he answers it. Um, what the nature of belief is, and that really gets into wrestling with what does it mean to be a disciple? Right? Because belief isn't a one-time thing. It's like, okay, I believe I'm done. No. It's a lifelong thing. Right? It's a change in your course to a different destination. And um, so he wants us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants us to understand that light in Him is through believing. But that there's also more required. We are being left in the world. We're no longer of the world, right? We're on a completely different trajectory. 
But nonetheless, here we find ourselves. So what do we do? And that's a question that we should ask every day. What do we do? Are we uh, a sender or a goer? I think both are senders, sending or have part of that sending mission. I think taking the gospel, the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, conquered death to a region that looks like this. If you look at the religious breakup of the world, just that region, not looking at, at uh, Indonesia, right, and areas down here. You go to places like that. If Indonesia, for example, is the fourth most populous country in the world. Hmm. About, yeah, it's like 13,000-some islands, right? And it, it's made up of a people group with a, a common language and way of communicating, and, and it's um, 90, I'm trying to remember the percentage, to be uh, 20 million out of 260 million are non-Muslim, right? So it is a Muslim country. Um, most of this area here is Muslim, right? We're seeing that There's very a Jewish country in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> a little bit of volume right there. I die. And, uh, and we're going to be going there here now. Um, if you look at what's happening in the United States, um, there are, there are people here actively trying to prevent this becoming from becoming another Muslim nation because it is occurring. It's occurring in a uniquely American way, but it is occurring, right? So. When you look at the world in these eyes, and we go back to the psalm that we started out with, and this is where we'll end, it says, uh, sing a new song, to, uh, sing, a, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. For he is to be feared above all gods, lowercase g. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. There is one God. And Jesus said, he was the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to that God, the Father, except through him. So that means all of these areas here, you know, are, are practicing idolatry. What is the second commandment? First one is? God. Second one is? No, no idols before him. And yet that's exactly what the world is doing. They're doing it as fast and as furious as they can and they have been for a long time. That's what we read about in Romans. Right? That's the, that's the corrupted heart of man. And yet, we are sent into that to tell of the one true God that loves the world so much that he was willing to conquer death, the thing that separates us from God, our sin and the death that comes with it, in order to bring us back into true life and communion with him. So that's, this is where we're going to end, um, because we're out of time. But... I also think it's it's a good place to, to park John for this week. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then he breathed on him. Right? He, he communicates his spirit. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for opportunity uh, to come to your word this morning, to open it carefully and prayerfully. Lord, there's so much, it's so rich and so deep that we could uh, go over and over and over again, and we, we probably will, Lord. But um, this day, just ask that you uh, cement those 
truths into our heart, that it actually would change our life, it would change the way that we walk out of here, the way that we view the community that we live in, um, the dialogues that we have with people, the opportunities, Lord, as you see them as opportunities, help us be in accord with you, that we can faithfully communicate who you are to wherever you send us. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your spirit that both enlightens us and brings to our remembrance all of the truths that you're teaching us, but also convicts, convicts us and convicts the world that we can know that you are the Christ, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for all of this. We ask for your protection, your provision, and thank you so much for your service, Lord Jesus. I ask you to be with Bob in the message this morning. Thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen.